And let's turn in our Bibles this evening to the book of Nehemiah, please. We're turning to the book of Nehemiah and we're returning to chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4 and we're going to read this evening from the verse 10 and we're going to read through to the verse 23. Nehemiah chapter 4, please. And we're reading from the verse 10 through to the verse 23. Our title for this evening is Cast Down But Not Destroyed. Cast Down But Not Destroyed. Nehemiah chapter 4 and the verse 10. And this is the word of the Lord and it reads, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. This is the people, uh, the Jewish people speaking now. And they're starting to listen to those who have been opposing them. And they're starting to become discouraged. And they have listened and they're saying, our strength is gone. Or, We've got a burden and there's so much rubbish and we're not able to build the wall anymore. Verse 11, and our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dealt, which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned, all of us, to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields and the bows and the harbogens and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah, uh, they which builded on the wall and they which bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held upon a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work. And half of them that held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared, likewise at the same time said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be, they may be, they may be a guard to us, and labor on the day. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men, nor, nor the men of the guard, which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his words this, the word this evening to each of our hearts. Alistair Begg has said this. He says, when God's people 
do God's work in God's way, it will not go unopposed. When God's people do God's work in God's way, it will not go unopposed. And certainly we have begun to learn this lesson as we started the study in chapter 4 last week. And the fact is proven many times in the Old Testament stories as well as the New Testament that when God's work is done his way, that it always comes with opposition from Satan. We see so many examples and times and a great example even is the Lord Jesus. He was opposed in his earthly ministry. Uh, when we look at the time of the, earthly church, or of the early church in Acts, they were constantly being struck down and constantly under pressure. And if you were to take a short time to look through many of the key figures in church history, you'll discover that there was, has never been a time when God's work hasn't been, has been unopposed by the enemy. There's always opposition. Always opposition to God's work. And we've been learning this as we really we entered into chapter 3, chapter 4. We've seen the enemies of God's people in Nehemiah come along and they have scrutinized the work and they have criticized and they have discouraged and they're now planning attacks on the city and the people are hearing about this and they're concerned. You know, when we consider all these things, when we consider opposition, Paul was a man who knew that opposition would come in our day. When he wrote to the, to the Ephesians in the book of Ephesians, he writes about the daily spiritual battle with the enemy. We've been singing about being soldiers of Christ and arising this evening. And Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. We live in an evil day, brothers and sisters. We live in an evil day. And the verses say here, take on the whole armor of God that you can withstand, will be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherein ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul certainly left the saints in Ephesus in no doubts that they were in a battle. We're in a battle. And it's a spiritual battle. Each time we come to this place, I hope you realize we're in a battle. I'll tell you, Satan hates that we're gathered here tonight. Satan hates the fact that we're here to pray. Satan hates the fact that we're here to stand around the word of God. Paul also writes to young Timothy. I imagine Timothy is being a little bit more timid than Paul would have been. Paul was bold. Paul was strong and he wasn't afraid to say much. But Paul, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. He says to Timothy, therefore endure hardness. He says to Timothy, you endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't beat about the bush. He knew that opposition would come. He knew 
that the devil would be busy about his work, seeking to wreck what was good, seeking to wreck what people were trying to do in the church for Christ. In 2 Corinthians in verse 4, Paul writes, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Troubled on every side, he said. And certainly in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, there was trouble on every side. As the enemies now are coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west of Jerusalem. They are surrounded by enemies. And we see in verses 7 and verse 8 that we read last week that the enemies, they were conspiring together and they were going to attack Jerusalem. They were going to destroy the work. You know, as we come to God's word tonight, I want you to notice a few things by way of introduction. I want you to see that Nehemiah was a realist. He was a realist. In verse 6, we're told that they're halfway through building the wall. And after the prayer of Nehemiah, they were ready to keep going. We thought about that last week. But just because Nehemiah prayed, it didn't mean that the problem went away. And actually, let me show you something tonight. The problem got worse. Nehemiah went to prayer. And, and that inspired the people to keep going because they'd left the issue with the Lord. And they went back to the work because look at verse 6. He, he turns around and he says, so built we the wall. He finishes his prayer and he says, we're kept going. We got back at it because we left the problem with the Lord. Our enemies were in the Lord's hand and we got back to work. But of course, the enemies didn't like that. They didn't like this at all and they went back to work and they went back to the drawing board and in verses 7 through to 9 we read how the people they were coming to attack again. It was going to get worse. The devil didn't like Nehemiah's prayer. And so he rallied the enemies and he made sure that they were going to come back stronger. But you know, Nehemiah constantly, his, the fundamental teaching of the book of Nehemiah is simply found in chapter 2 and verse 20. And it comes up over and over again because he says, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Do you see the balance in that verse? The God of heaven, he will prosper us. God's on our side. We're leaving everything with him. We're praying, but we're going to arise and build. He saw the part where he gave it into the Lord's hands, but he also saw the part where he had to be about the work. He had to be busy. He had to be the answer to his prayer. He understood the concept of Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And what Nehemiah realized was this is the Lord's work, but I need to be involved. <laughs> There was a balance. There was a balance. In 2 Corinthians verse 4, we read these words. Paul said he was cast down but not destroyed. And that's our title this evening. Cast down but not destroyed. Because as we enter into the, the, the passage this evening, I want you to see, first of all, the discouraged people. The discouraged people. They were discouraged. Look at verse 10. Here's Judah. It says, and Judah said, those are the first three words. And Judah said, and up to this point, we've heard from the Ammonites and we've heard from the Ashdodites and we've heard from the Arabians and we've heard from Sambalat and we've heard from Tobiah and, we've, and Jeshem. But now in verse 10, you could almost miss those words. It says, 
And Judah said, God's people are now speaking and chatting among themselves. And Judah says this, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Can you hear the discouraged people? They're discouraged. It isn't easy to carry on the work when you're surrounded by danger and daily face the demands of the task that seems impossible. And it was starting to become an impossible task. They were listening to the attacks from those around, the words from those around. And if the Jews became discouraged, they would defeat themselves. And Sam Ballot and his allies would never have to wage the war that they were considering. Judah, Nehemiah's own people, they were starting to listen to the enemy voice. And they were starting to believe what the enemy was saying. And were told... Now, we're not told what Nehemiah felt like. I think that's interesting. It was Judah's spoke, not Nehemiah. But I would imagine that he would have had a sickening sense of being let down. Because, you know, the building of the wall, we know it's at the halfway point, And they've been building well. And up until this point, they haven't looked at the rubbish. And they haven't said, we can't do this. It's been God's enemies that have done that at the halfway point, And they've been building well, trusting the Lord, knowing that the Lord was helping them, knowing that the Lord was on their side. And the next thing is not. The people are discouraged. And Nehemiah, he must have been overwhelmed by a feeling of betrayal. You think back to chapter one. He had left a great job. He had left the comfort of a palace in Persia. He left the security of working for a king, being the king's advisor. And he came to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, God's holy city, the place where God dwelt. He had rallied God's people and they had been working so well, but they were at the halfway point. They were going so well and now the devil didn't want it finished and they were discouraged. There he was trying to lead the people of God. And at first they were all around him, but all of a sudden, after the jibes of the enemy, they want to down tools and give up, throw the towel in. And it looks like the work is done. It's going to come to a complete stop. Isn't that how our enemy, the devil, works? You see, I want you to note that he didn't attack directly. He didn't just come in with the armies, attack and wipe the whole place down. He didn't come down, if you like, the center aisle of the church and disrupt. No, no, that's not how the devil works. He's subtle. And he hisses like a snake. And he quietly causes trouble. And he's subtle. And he sows discord. Bit of gossip here, bit of gossip there. Bit of chat there, bit of chat here. And he'll use it to discourage you. And you know, sometimes he uses God's own people to do that. And this is what we see here in verse 10. They start to believe that they can't do it. And the devil starts to sow doubt in their minds. And they start to think, well, there's no way we can do this. The armies haven't come in, no. Nothing's had to happen. But the devil, he discourages them. And discouragement is a key weapon in Satan's arsenal. You remember it was discouragement that kept the children of Israel from entering the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. Do you remember those ten spies that came back? 
Two were good, ten were bad. Isn't that what the little children's chorus says? And they came in, those ten spies, and they said to Moses, we're not able to go up against those people. For they're stronger than us. We, we can't enter the promised land. Ten unbelieving. And as a result, the nation wandered for 40 years until a new generation was ready to conquer the land. We are not able. Is the rallying cry of all those who take their eyes off the Lord and start looking to themselves and looking at the problems. How persistent Satan is. There's no doubt about that because here's what we're reading verse 10 or 12. Verse 12. Look at the words here. So there's Jewish people and they were living in the surrounding area and they were living and they were listening to the rumblings of the enemy and in verse 12 it says and it came to pass that when the Jews that dwelt by them that is the enemy they when they came they said unto us ten times ten times from all places whence she shall return unto us they're going to be upon you they're coming and they come to they come to Nehemiah ten times and say, These people are coming, they're going to attack, you need to give up, you need to pack it in. Again, this was God's people. The Jewish people were coming and they were discouraging because they were listening to all that was going on. They were saying, No matter what you do, no matter where you go, these people are going to attack us, you need to give up. Ten times they said that. Now anyone who's in the Lord's work will know what it is to be discouraged. And Satan loves to discourage his servants and he loves to discourage them by those little niggly foxes that spoil the vine. What I'm talking about is persistency coming again and again and again with the same old problem. And in this context, we could call it coming again and again with the same old rubbish. And Satan uses God's people to do that. And they'll come to you and they'll come to you and they'll come to you until you're fed up listening to them with the same old rubbish. And it wears you down. And it doesn't matter what work you do for the Lord. Sometimes you get discouraged. And often these discouragements. It doesn't come uh, directly from Satan in the external sense. But Satan uses the children of God to, to discourage one another. Isn't it amazing how the enemy of God seems to all be able to come together under Satan. To attack the church and to attack the things. But Satan's able to sow that discouragement among the people of God. Let me ask this question to you. Are you an encourager or a discourager? When was the last time you sent a wee message to the children's or youth workers in the church and encouraged them to keep serving the Lord? Sometimes we're too busy telling people what things need fixed. Instead of encouraging them to keep going. To keep serving. Let me challenge you this evening to take your phone at some stage, maybe this evening, maybe tomorrow. I know some of you already do this. Let me make this point as well. But let me challenge you to take your phone at some stage. Lift it and send away a message of encouragement to a Christian worker. It could be someone who serves the Lord here in this local church. Or it could be a missionary that you know. But, but send them a wee message of encouragement. Pray for them. And let them know that you're praying for them. I'll tell you, it'll change their day to know that someone, one of God's people, is praying for them. Send a wee verse through to encourage them to keep going. You know, sometimes it's that wee verse, that wee encouragement. It's just what someone needs to get through the day. 
Why not encourage one of God's people tonight? You know, so often I hear of full-time workers especially giving up on the work of God because they run out of steam and they feel like no one supports them. Remember to pray for them. Remember to ask the Lord to help them, but also remember to let them know that you're praying for them and encourage them. The discouraged people. I want you to secondly note the fearful people. They were fearful. They, they were terrified. There was this news coming from the Jews in the outlying villages. And they kept bringing these reports of the enemy planning a surprise attack. And it's very interesting to note that Nehemiah, he didn't respond immediately. You know what it's like when someone comes and you become fearful and you feel you have to do something straight away. You feel you have to counteract it straight away. Or someone comes to you with a problem and you feel you have to do something right away. That's not how Nehemiah worked. We're often quick to act, aren't we? But I want you to note the people's focus. What was their focus? Well, I could hazard a guess that Nehemiah was quietly seeking the Lord in his personal times of devotion. He wasn't rushing to these Jews who were coming to him again and again and again, ten times over. They're coming, they're going to attack, stop the work. They're coming, they're going to attack, stop the work. And Nehemiah, he listened to that. He didn't react once. I would imagine by the third or fourth time I heard something, I probably would have reacted. But Nehemiah, he paused. And he took a step back. And if we're going with Nehemiah's character that we've learned so far, I know that Nehemiah was praying about the issue of the Lord. And he wasn't afraid of the enemy. But he did see that the people were becoming afraid of the enemy. And he saw that it was hindering the work because the work had stopped. And when Nehemiah breaks the silence, he does it in a way that encourages the people to look up. The people's focus. Look at verse 14. He says this. <coughs> Nehemiah speaking this is, And I, Nehemiah, looked and rose up, and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. The people are afraid. And the first words they hear from their leader is, Don't be afraid. But how does he say? Does he say just don't be afraid and leave it there? No, he says this. Don't be afraid of them. Remember who? The Lord. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. He encouraged the people to look up. But not just that, to look up and remember the Lord. My faith looks up to thee. Thy Lamb of Calvary. That's what we sang as our opening words this evening. And it says in verse 14, first of all, Nehemiah, he looked and he saw the problem. He looked up and he, he surveyed the rubble and the rubbish and the debris that was all around that the people were talking about that was being pointed out. But he goes on to say that he lifted, he, we can see he lifted his eyes heavenwards as it were. And he encouraged the people to lift their focus and to look to the Lord. There's no better place to look when discouragement comes, when fear comes. Look up. 
you know, it's no use looking at other Christians. Because they're just going to discourage you. They'll eventually let you down. Because we're just sinners. And you see, there's no point in looking to yourself. Because you'll just end up discouraging yourself as well. But if you look to the Lord, as Nehemiah did, and if you look to the Lord, that's what Jehoshaphat the king did. He encouraged the people to do that in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here's what he said. I think this is a great line. He says, we have no might against this great company, the enemies that were coming. And he said, he would have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. When you don't know what to do. When you're discouraged. When you're fearful. When you don't know what the rest of the day holds. When you don't know how you're going to get to tomorrow. When you get that news from the hospital. When you get that news about a family member. When fear just consumes you and you don't know what to do. Nehemiah says. Jehoshaphat says. Look up. Get your eyes upon the Lord. Isn't that it? Isn't that the secret? I wonder maybe in the service that you're doing for the Lord right now. Maybe you've taken your eyes off the Lord and you're currently discouraged and you're disillusioned. And you're looking around and you're looking at all the problems around you and you don't know what to do and you're becoming fearful in your life circumstances. That's easy to do. Do you remember Peter when he saw the boisterous wind and the waves and he began to sink? Why? Because he took his eyes off the Lord. And could it be that I need and could it be that you need simply again to turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face? So that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What encouragement Nehemiah gives the people. And thus this evening as we listen to him to get our eyes back on Jesus. You know we could spend all evening on that topic alone. Our eyes on Jesus. It's a beautiful topic to consider. <coughs> but you know I think the old hymn gets it right. O pilgrim bound for the heavenly land, never lose sight of Jesus. The people's focus. But I also want you to see that they had a balanced approach. There was a balanced approach. Look at verse 15. It says, And it came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto, that it was known unto us that they were coming to attack, and God had brought their counsel to naught, God had brought their plans to nothing, that we returned, all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. Isn't that great? You can see all of a sudden they've gone back to the Lord, they've lifted their eyes, and they're back to the work again. I want you to see how quickly they became discouraged because in verse 6 they were building, then it comes to stop in, in verse 10 and they're encouraged and they're looking, or discouraged and they're looking around us, and then we get back down to verse 15. And they're building again. But why are they building again each time they look to the Lord? Verse 15, verse 16. And it came to pass. Here's the balanced approach. And it came to pass 
from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both spears and shields and bows and harbingers and the rulers behind and all the, of Judah and they builded the wall and they that bear the burdens and those that were laid and every one with his hands wrought in the work with the other hand held a weapon. So one hand in verse 17 is at the work and in the other hand they have a weapon ready. Why? Why? Well, they, there, there were some people, and they wanted to do all the fighting. And they wanted to stand, and they were ready, and they were going to attack, and they weren't balanced at all. And then there were others, and they, they, they just wanted to get on with the work. And there, there were some were bloodthirsty, and there were some were cards, or maybe some were industrious, and others were just ready to explode and attack the enemy and go at them, for want of a better phrase. They just wanted to pick a fight. And Nehemiah comes to them and says, no, no, that's not going to be the way of it. We're not going to do it that way. Here's how we're going to do it. We need balance here. We're going to take it in turns. There's going to be a circuit. And everybody's going to take a role. And everybody's going to have a responsibility. And we're going to bring balance. And, and we're going to be ready. If they come to attack, we're going to be ready to get them. We're going to be ready to prevent them from, from attacking the wall and ruining the work. But it's not going to stop us from working. We're not just going to stand and defend half a wall. You see, it doesn't matter when we're building. Satan's going to attack no matter what. And we could just stand and defend what we've got. Or we can keep building for the Lord. And be ready with the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other hand to keep going. And that's exactly what Nehemiah encouraged the people to do. We're going to keep building, but we're ready for attack. We're going to stay on our knees. We're going to keep our focus on the Lord. And with our focus on the Lord, he'll help us build. And with our focus on the Lord, he'll, he'll give us the victory. And that's what Nehemiah told the people. And there's a balance in for us continuing the work of the Lord. You've got to be prepared to fight the sword in one hand, but you've also got to be prepared to build. You know, when Charles, Spur when Charles Spurgeon started his church magazine in 1865, he borrowed the title from Nehemiah, and he called the publication The Sword and Trial. And he said that it was a record of combat with sin, but also a record to encourage the people to labour for the Lord. To go against sin, but to work for the Lord. It's not enough to build the wall. We must also guard from the enemy. And building and battling are both important in the Christian life. If we're to be faithful disciples, it's a picture of a balanced Christian. You know, there aren't a lot of balanced Christians about today. You meet some Christians... No, they want to do is fight. Not just fight with one another, but fight for some cause. They're going to defend that cause. And they, 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 they maybe are fighting for some truth, and that's great. And they get so focused on that truth that they forget the rest of the work. And it just seems to keep them out of the fight and out of building. And they're fighting for one particular truth that they become obsessed with. Maybe one line of theology that they're absolutely obsessed with. And they forget that as they fight over this little hair on the edge of the cliff, that there are millions of souls stepping off the cliff and going to a lost eternity. Now let me make one thing clear when I make that statement. Theology is important. What we believe is important. 
But so often we become so focused on these little niggly things that the children of God fight over that we forget there's a world lost and dying and on their way to hell. Billy Adal and Redpath said this. If Satan gets Christian, Christian people involved in controversy at the expense of capturing souls for Christ, he has secured a master stroke. Men spend their lives in so-called defense of truth and defense of position and neglect the main task of building. They fight over hair-splitting matters of doctrine while souls are perishing. We need to be very careful that we don't do that. Because we can make things that are less important more important to the point that there are souls who we should have been reaching for Christ, walking over the cliff edge and into a lost eternity. I wonder, do you have the sword in your hand and the trowel in the oven? No matter what the workers were doing, they labored on and they got on with the wall and they kept an ear open for the sound of a trumpet. What would happen was, if the trumpet was blown, the people would know, because the people were scattered around the wall, and Nehemiah had the trumpet blower with him, and if there was an attack in one part of the wall, the trumpet would blow, and Nehemiah said to them, all the people who are around about, when you hear that trumpet, you get here with your sword, and you get ready to defend. And that kept the people going, because they knew that if there was attack, they would be supported, so they kept working, and they were listening for the trumpet. What an example for us to follow as we wait for the return of the Lord. For don't we read in First Thessalonians, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. You know, Nehemiah, he also instituted this balanced approach. He instituted a second shift, and it required workers from the other times, that to st at times, to stay in the city at night and to help guard the city. See this in verse 22. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor in the day. So they guarded at night when the work wasn't happening. They were on guard. They stayed in the city. They didn't leave the city. You know, I'm going to quote Dr. Alan Redpath again. He spoke about how the Jews succeeded. And I think we would do well to take this to heart this evening. He says this, this is how they got their work done and kept the enemy at bay. Number one, verse six of chapter four, the people had a mind to work. Secondly, verse nine of chapter four, they had a heart to pray. Again, at verse nine, they had an eye to watch. And verse 20, they had an ear to hear. And that's what gave them the victory. And for us this evening, we need to have a mind to work. And it blesses me and it encourages me that when I look around this room this evening, I know so many of you, in fact all of you, are involved in the work here at Grange or further afield. You're involved in the Lord's work. And that is a blessing. And let me encourage you this evening. What an encouragement that is to see that we work together and labor for the Lord together. And may the devil never change that. I pray that the Lord will keep us united and keep us working for him. 
What a blessing to work together for the Lord. And there's a mind to work. Let's keep that. And there's a heart to pray. We've got to keep praying. Because we are in a spiritual battle. And the devil quakes when he hears us pray. When we call upon the name of the Lord. He hates it when we come here on a Wednesday night. Because we're praying and we're asking the Lord for his help. Let's keep doing that, both corporately here and in our individual prayer. In our quiet time, let's continue to pray. I'll keep having that heart to pray. An eye to watch. One day the Lord will return. And you know, if you've got your eye on the eastern sky, knowing that the Lord could return at any moment, I'll tell you that'll keep you working. I'm telling you this. When the Lord returns, I want to make sure that I'm still working for him. I don't want to get caught dabbling in sin. When he returns. I don't want to be ashamed when he returns. And an ear to hear. One day the trumpet will sound. And we'll be with him. And I'll tell you, that'll keep you working. And that'll keep you building. And that will put the defense up when you've got the Lord by your side. Oh, I wonder, are you discouraged in your walk with the Lord this evening? Well, let me encourage you this evening to remember, as Nehemiah reminded the people, God was on their side. God is on your side. And maybe you find yourself this evening in a position of fear. Let me remind you what Nehemiah said to the people. Are you fearful? Look up. Look up. Look to the Lord. Take your eyes off the things around you. Don't look horizontally. Look vertically. Look up. Keep your eyes on him. Don't let discouragement. And don't let fear cripple you in your work for the Lord. Keep working. Keep building. He will honour you as long as you continue to honour him. Therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters tonight, maybe you come to the meeting and you feel cast down. But let me remind you that in the Lord, we're not destroyed. There's still a work for you to do. You keep laboring for the Lord. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, at times we do become so weary and discouraged and fear can grip us and at times Father it does cripple us from doing your work it stops us from doing what we ought to be doing Father trials in this life can come we don't know where to turn at times we look to ourselves and We look around for help and 
he just becomes so discouraged and so downcast. And Father, I pray for those who maybe have came into the meeting feeling that way tonight. Maybe in their own life circumstances, things are just a disaster at the moment and they don't know where to turn. <coughs> Father, for the ones who are discouraged this evening, for the ones who are fearful of what tomorrow holds, Father, I pray that you would help each of us, each of us, to look on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, at times when we look to you, in times of difficulty, it can feel like you're distant. But we thank you, Father, that that is so untrue. That, Father, you're near to us. That, Father, you're precious to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to build for you. To continue laboring for you. Father, I pray that we would go forward on our knees. That, Father, we would wholly depend on you. That, Father, we wouldn't rush into things without first leaving it in your hands. Father, I pray indeed that you would build your kingdom here in Grange. That, Father, indeed that you would help us in our gospel efforts. That, Father, you would bless it. That you would give us the privilege of winning souls. For your word tells us, he that winneth souls is wise. Help us to be the salt and light that we ought to be. And, Father, help us, no matter what discouragements come our way, to always keep working for you. Father, bless us now as we come to this time of prayer. We pray, Father, that as we pray as an assembly, that, Father, indeed, you will be pleased to hear and answer our prayer. Father, we thank you for some who have been absent for a number of weeks returning this evening. We thank you, Father, for bringing them back among us. We thank you, Father, for bringing them back to a measure of health and strength. We thank you, Father, for even that answer of prayer. Bless us now, Father, as we pray together. We pray this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.